Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, Foo followers around the world. We are back from our mid-season break. Glad that you could join us. Welcome to episode 29 of the Kung Fu Movie Guy podcast. Remember, for the latest martial arts movie news, reviews, and analysis, visit kungfumovieguide.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Also, if you like this podcast, then don't forget to give us a star rating or leave us a comment with your podcast provider. That way we can help to spread the good word of the show and hopefully attract even more Foo followers. Thank you so much for tuning in and downloading this episode of the show, which features the great Joey Answer. It's a real treat. Okay, without any further ado, here we go. Well, if you're really so determined to have a fight, then I'll oblige. Hello, Foo followers around the world. Welcome back to the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast, episode 29. Thank you so much for joining me wherever you're listening to this, wherever you are in the world. My name is Ben Johnson. I am the host of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this episode. And this, of course, is the first one back from our mid-season break, which actually did take a bit longer than I had initially anticipated. It wasn't going to be such a uh, a long break originally. Um, But uh, I did end up going away. I was away for a little bit of it. I went to Spain for a little while. I've been in Portugal, both lovely places. And then, of course, the World Cup happened, uh, which did end up being a lot more exciting than uh, uh, anyone could have hoped for, particularly if you're English, but uh, especially if you're French, of course. So apologies for the delay. I hope wherever you are listening to this, Foo followers, you have had a lovely summer so far and generally just having a lovely time. Listen, we have returned with an awesome guest on today's show. Joey Answer is my guest on today's episode of the podcast, probably best known for being the mastermind behind the highly successful live action Street Fighter web series, uh, Assassin's Fist, and of course its follow-up Resurrection. And now it is official... He will be an executive producer on a new Street Fighter TV project, which has just been greenlit by E1 and the Mark Gordon company. This is absolutely huge news and we're incredibly happy for Joey. I should just say that this conversation was recorded in his home back in February of this year, in 2018. Uh, And although we did talk a little bit about that TV show uh, towards the end of this podcast, uh, which is referred to here as World Warrior, although I don't think that's the official name of the TV show. I think that's very much a working title at the moment. We do talk a little little bit about it but he hadn't yet closed the deal at that stage so uh, that was announced in March of 2018 anyway 
it's fabulous news and it is a testament to Joey's uh, incredible hard work on bringing the Street Fighter video game back to our screens uh, in a way which wasn't completely rubbish, <laughs> which anyone who's uh, seen the big screen Hollywood efforts to bring Street Fighter to the cinema can attest to. Uh, I would actually go so far to say that uh, Assassin's Fist is probably one of the best films to have been made which is based on a on a video game. So if you haven't seen it, go well, listen to this podcast and then go and watch it. You will not be disappointed. Uh, Joey is also one of the stars of the new Mission Impossible film, Mission Impossible Fallout. This is the sixth film in the Mission Impossible series. It stars Tom Cruise, of course, and is directed by Christopher McQuarrie. The movie was released in cinemas everywhere last week. Go and check him out in that movie. His other credits include uh, possibly one of the best fight scenes ever filmed, uh, the classic showdown in the Bourne Ultimatum, uh, in which Jason Bourne has to defend himself against a rival assassin. Joey is the guy that Matt Damon fights in that remarkable uh, fight scene. Uh, and we do go into some detail around that highly influential moment in action cinema uh, and really what made that fight scene such a, a game changer. Uh, Joey is a great actor. He's been a stuntman. He's a fight choreographer. He's a director, a writer, producer. He's worked his way into Hollywood from UK independent movies working with the likes of Scott Adkins, of course, who does get um, a mention in this conversation. Joey's next few projects include some really big titles. He is in The Kid Who Would Be King. This is the new Joe Cornish film starring Rebecca Ferguson, Tom Taylor and Patrick Stewart. And he will also be appearing in next year's live-action Disney retelling of Aladdin, which is directed by Guy Ritchie and stars Will Smith. Um, so we do talk a little bit about uh, Aladdin towards the end of the podcast here. Joey has a great wealth of martial arts knowledge. He's studied many different styles, including capoeira and ninjutsu, taekwondo, and he started out being a martial arts tricker, uh, and we do talk about that as well. He's also a massive cinephile with a great passion and knowledge for movies, uh, and it was a real treat to just hang out and just chat about a load of different things, really. So I hope you do enjoy this conversation that's coming up in a moment. A couple of other things before we throw over to my conversation with Joey. I managed to catch up with a few movies during the break, which was uh, great to do. I saw Deadpool 2. Thoroughly enjoyed that. That's uh, the new movie by David Leach, of course, who directed John Wick and Atomic Blonde. I caught up with The Debt Collector. That's the new one from director Jesse V. Johnson and Scott Adkins. Uh, and I thought that was great. It was a nice, nuanced action comedy. Uh, very different from your usual uh, Scott Adkins kick flick. Uh, and uh, that's definitely worth checking out and grabbing the DVD if you haven't already. I saw Black Water recently, which is out now on Amazon Prime. That's the new Van Damme film, which also features Dolph Lundgren. I thought it was really great, actually, to just see those two action legends sharing the screen together again, especially because they were both on the same side this time. So that was a nice little uh, addition there to that movie. And also, I just wanted to do a special shout out to Jailbreak, which is now on UK Netflix, which is great news. This is Cambodia's first martial arts film, uh, and it is a great movie. It's a huge testament to the extraordinary uh, skill of it 
its star Jean-Paul Lee and the whole crew in Cambodia actually who made this movie it's such an enjoyable martial arts film it was made on such a shoestring of a budget as well so it was one of my favourite films from last year and now finally everyone can log on to Netflix and go and watch that movie so that's called Jailbreak go and watch it that is great if you've caught up with any great movies lately and just wanted to share your thoughts or maybe you just had some more general questions about the website or the podcast, then please do get in touch. We are on Twitter at KF Movie Guide. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. And the email address, as always, is hello at kungfumovieguide.com. I did get an email the other day, actually, that I wanted to share with you guys. Thank you all very much for the messages that you do send me, by the way. It's all very much appreciated. And I do try to reply to every message uh, that comes through to me. I just wanted to throw this one out there to all the Foo followers around the world, uh, just to see if you can help. This message is from Josh Earing. I hope I've said your name correctly there, Josh. Apologies if I've said that wrong. Uh, thank you very much for your message anyway, Josh. It reads, Hello there. I thought maybe you could help with a question that's been bothering me. Just recently I got into Kung Fu films, mostly through the Dragon Dynasty series, but I was wondering, is there another series, Stroke Distributor, that releases good quality prints of Kung Fu films? Widescreen, English subtitles, Region 1, etc. I know at this point there are a lot of bootleg copies of questionable quality out there and not tons of info on the stuff that is released maybe you could steer me in the right direction with a good distributor or what to look for with the releases out there thank you in advance and for taking the time i hope you have a good day josh great lovely email josh thank you so much for getting in touch and you are quite right the the dragon dynasty dvds are indeed wonderful things uh, and similar to how great the old uh, hong kong legends series was in the uk back in the day obviously speaking more generally it is becoming increasingly harder in this day and age for dvd distributors to make their money back on their investments with so many people using streaming services so with a lot of the old school kung fu movies i think because it is quite a niche market it's that um you know that's becoming less and less of a priority for these dvd distributors because just because they're outlays they'll have to invest so much money in in producing a good product and they can't guarantee whether they'd actually get a return on their investment having said that there are certainly a few distributors here in the uk uh, who are catering for the more discerning blu-ray and dvd purchaser and the companies that immediately spring to mind include eureka entertainment eureka entertainment do a lot of lovely uh, blu-rays of classic king hugh movies uh, and they've been releasing quite a lot of classic jackie chan titles lately and they always put together a really good product as well so uh, eureka entertainment definitely worth checking out cine asia of course uh, have a lot more of the more recent titles but they do have a great classics range as well uh, and some great uh, blu-rays as well 88 films are mostly a horror label but they do seem to have quite a lot of shaw brothers stuff that I've noticed. There's a company called Medium Rare as well. They've I, I first became aware of Medium Rare when they released Blu-rays of the Bruce Lee films and more recently I've just noticed they've been doing uh, some other classic Hong Kong titles as well so Medium Rare worth checking out. 
Terracotta, of course, Terracotta Distribution. They've got a classic Kung Fu range, uh, which features some pretty interesting old school titles. And they're pretty decent transfers as well. So Terracotta, who are now part of Arrow Films, I believe. So uh, you can get hold of their range through the Arrow Films website. Uh, In China, of course, you've got Celestial Pictures. They own all of the Shaw Brothers back catalogue. And they're really great quality DVDs as well. And in the States, of course, you've got Wellgo USA. They're excellent for a lot of the modern uh, Far Eastern films as well. So I may have completely missed some huge distributors out there. And uh, if I have Josh then I do apologise but I do hope that uh, that sort of counts as a bit of a uh, start of a 10 uh, if anyone out there does have any other suggestions then please don't hesitate to email the show the email address is hello at kungfumovieguide.com and I'll be sure to pass that message on to Josh okay here we go then uh, I should just say actually before we throw over to this interview that there is a little bit of bad language on this episode so you know, if that is an issue with you, then you have been warned. There's also a little bit of traffic noise I noticed when I was editing this from the street outside, uh, which occasionally crops up every now and then. So uh, I don't know, maybe you you might only be able to hear that if you've got super hypersensitive hearing or just incredible headphones on. But uh, either way, uh, I do apologise if that bothers you, uh, but I'm sure you'll get over it. Uh, (laughs) Okay, it is with great pleasure that I hand over now to my conversation with the UK filmmaker, actor, street fighter expert and all-round great guy, Joey Anser. this evening for Mission Impossible 6 mm. so um, I won't keep you too long what happens at a rap party well I think largely you see the crew letting their hair down <laughs> the, the crew that are the hardest working people often on a film set how did you hear about this this role and get involved in Mission Impossible um, just an audition it came up this is the funny way the acting world works um Toby Whale is the casting director, the UK casting director yep. for Mission. And um, I acted for him on all things in Benidorm. Yeah. Right? Which yeah. is an ITV comedy show for those of you that don't know. Sure. And completely, I mean, that was, a, I played a, a gay guy on a nudist beach. Very funny scene, but, yeah. you know, as far removed from Mission as possible. But sure. This is why, as an actor, it's it's a it's a time thing. You stick around long enough and do work, you're remembered. And that yeah. same casting director that you could have performed a radically different role uh, for, then calls you in and is like, "There's a part you'd be great for." The role kind of is has evolved because it's quite odd as an actor to sign on to a film to do an audition with placeholder dialogue, yeah. be told scant details about the part. And then get the part. Yeah. And you don't have a script. There's no way to check what's the fate of my character. Sure. What do I get to do? How much dialogue have I got? And that there's everything to play for. Almost like it's a kind of means-tested performance. Like, if you're doing a good job, you may get to do more. If you're doing a shit job, you get to do less. Yeah. Um, So that's unusual. I'm trying to think whether there's... I've I've even done a film like that, that. That you really... So this film literally... Other than knowing I would go to Paris for a good chunk of filming, I had no idea 
Even to this day, I haven't read the whole script. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so it's going to be news to you when you see this movie. Oh, there's certain parts um, that I'll definitely be... Aha, uh-huh, so uh, that's what sure. happened. Through hearsay of, okay, this location, you start to piece it together. I can't really say much, but the all I can say is that this film, without giving any details, is going to be incredible on the action front. Yeah. I mean, the trailer gives you glimpses, and there's a featurette out of the heli- helicopter, helicopter stunts stunt, yeah. and Tom did all his all his own flying and it, he is so inspiring he he he's such a workhorse and what's phenomenal is that you'll turn up for a day at work and Tom will have spent the whole first half of the day doing action you know and then we'll instantly then be in costume doing a dialogue scene for the second half of the day. It's not like, okay, I've done physical stuff, I need to take the rest of the day off. Sure. He, he's, he is, um, his work ethic and energy yeah. is, is just phenomenal. Is, is he everything that you thought he would be like when you met him? Yeah, he's, he's ta- that's the thing, I mean... Tom's one of those, you know, he is the quintessential movie star. Absolutely. And um, he's been a massive inspiration for me growing up. Dramatically, films like Rain Man and um, A Few Good Men. Yeah. And then action-wise, he is he is one of the few people that legit does all those actors who does all his own action. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's a master and meticulous at what he does. It was a great honour for me, aside from watching him do action, being involved in some quite intimate drama scenes and, yeah. and watching his process. You've worked on big titles in the past, but this is, you know, as we were saying earlier, this has been, what, nine, ten months yeah. uh, of sort of working on this? What have you learned during that process, do you, would you say? Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, because I'm a filmmaker and actor, there's kind of two planes that I can yeah. learn from. Yeah. Um, I think work ethic, look, I, I have a work, I have a strong work ethic myself. Anyone that's seen Assassin's Fist yeah, will, will know what it's taken. But, but seeing both McHugh and Tom at work, just like geez these guys don't have a day off yeah. and they're at it and they've been to like four continents making this yeah. I mean even in the helicopter chase stuff you see in the feature yeah. Chris McQuarrie is up in a helicopter yeah. following it's like they're involved yeah he's out the side over the camera yeah, yeah I know it's it's um it's hairy stuff so it's just fully <laughs> committed and it's look action films are not made like this much anymore yeah same as like having the privilege to be in the Bourne franchise Ultimatum even then I was aware of films like this in this way that Greengrass did back then everything was real so much is done in camera same in Mission there's almost no CG you'd be amazed the stuff that is being done for real and that's really cool to see that in an ever increasing CGI let's do it green screen or do it in post to see these guys saying no yeah. as insane as this sounds we're going to do it practically but back in the day that's what they did exactly you know exactly. if you look at those those great action movies from the 80s they did that stuff 
it was all in camera yeah um so it's kind of nice to see and Bourne was maybe a bit of a precursor to this that uh, returning to that sort of uh more authentic organic uh style of um action which is it's deep rooted in in reality mm. i guess that's something paul greengrass must have brought to that mm. you know making documentaries and that, that exactly sort of thing. it must be great to see that in a film like mission but just on a huge, huge scale, scale utterly and seeing the the leading men getting in there and doing it doing it yeah. just doing doing it sometimes you're like sure is there is there a dub no it's no, him it's, yeah it's yeah him. do you think that that's important for action stars to to do their own stuff I mean, look. There's. It's quite. A, it's an interesting question, and the answer is uh, not without controversy, which I'm sensitive to. I think if you are purely a dramatic actor, do the training you can to pull off what you safely can. Otherwise, put it in the hands of the stunt professionals. Yeah. Um, Tom, in the same way that Jackie Chan or Scott Adkins yeah. or someone like myself, who I put in that category, we train like stunt guys do. So, if you have the Tom's ability to pilot vehicles, drive cars, motorbikes, helicopters, planes, yeah. do fights, do wrecks, knowing how to falls, being ratcheting across stuff, it's in, quite unique. Yeah, he but he's done he's done the training yeah. he commits to it as as a, as an athlete as a physical performer yeah. so but not every actor does that no. right <laughs> there are more non-martial arts action stars yeah than martial arts action stars today look at Liam Neeson sure right yeah yeah I'm Scott's a good mate of mine. He would love the Taken franchise yeah. for himself. Films of that scale, yeah. that budget scale. Yeah, yeah. I know they're not huge, but compared to say the Undisputed franchise yeah. budgets, he would love that. And Liam, okay, Liam Neeson used to box. He's a physical dude, yeah. and he can pull it off. But he's not. A, you wouldn't consider him a hardcore martial artist, no. right? Warrior, yeah. Tom Hardy in Warrior. Warrior for me is probably one of the best martial arts or fight films in the last 15 years. Yeah. It really is, from choreography sake and believability. Yeah. I mean, Tom Hardy is terrifying in yeah. that. And you believe every hit and the emotion of it. And, and this is the problem now. I think you're seeing that hands down in terms of the response I had as an audience member was more powerful, I think, than almost any hardcore martial arts yeah, film yeah, yeah. I've seen and it shows the importance of the acting quotient in action yeah um, good drama as well isn't it it's just great great, great drama. drama great characters but the too, too many martial arts films are, are stuck in being just that martial arts films they're not yeah. stripping back the fact from the actor's mindset the, the, the director of Warrior and, and, and its star cast would have thought, who is the character? And he just happens to be a fighter by trade. Yeah. But that's an afterthought. That's a, a happy incident. Whereas a lot of martial artists go into these films as I'm a martial artist first, 
and the character is just addressing they adorn. There's almost too much emphasis on the the genre in a way. It's it, it, those well, sorts the, of genre traditions. Yeah, they're sh- they're shackled by the fact that I'm a martial artist and I've got to show martial arts stuff. Yeah, and you know, in, in the ever increasing scientific era of MMA where you're seeing what works and what doesn't particularly a lot of traditional type martial arts stuff just looks more and more phony and pony on screen and and, and is harder and harder to take seriously um, as time goes on and it goes back to Bourne I often say to people that the fight in Ultimatum caused such a stir you it's know? so good <laughs> but and it, I remember like reading the day of the of, of it came out or the premiere Rolling Stone magazine greatest movie fight yeah, of all yeah. time it won an award was, didn't it was, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah it was and it changed Bond everything it changed did. it really was a, a milestone in cinema for action but I tell people look it's not that the it's the most complicated chore- choreography ever but what that fight had was emotional realism from the way we performed it and how it was staged there's no fight 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 posture grunt grimace at the camera one liner then fight again yeah it was i describe it as being two rottweilers fighting until one isn't moving exactly what it is yeah and moving through there's not and the fact there's no musical score driving it shows how confident Paul Greengrass was in the strength of the emotion of the fight it doesn't need music to drive uh, the viewers emotions the fight is that visceral it's so iconic that fight scene not just in summing up as you say the Bourne films everyone if I think of the Bourne films I think of the start of that fight when he's leaping through the through yeah, the glass yeah. and then you know and the, and the fight kicks up um, <clears throat> but it felt like a real game changer when you were watching it it was like this is so visceral this is so hardcore I and uh, genuinely hadn't seen anything like that um, I'm intrigued to know when you approach that scene and you're working with Matt Damon you're planning that out did you did you have that in mind or were you just approaching it like a fight scene's gonna happen we gotta work let's, let's work something out no, I mean, I was difficult. I was 23 when I did that film, which at the time I felt like a big boy, but now I'm 35 looking back. You're like, jeez, you were so, like, that's so, that's so young. So this was my big break. I was yeah. super excited. I was playing these Blackbriar agents were meant to be an upgrade from Treadstone. Yeah. So in, mo- in all the Bourne films, to be honest, in Identity and Supremacy beforehand, Bourne had largely chewed his way through anyone that got in his way right. without too much difficulty yeah. because he's just elite, right? <laughs> yeah. So Ultimatum was suddenly him coming up against someone that is potentially better than him. And that was really interesting that from a narrative perspective, it's not just any fight. This is going to be the fight of the franchise yeah. where Bourne is pushed harder than ever and my character has to by narrative design show some cool shit yeah. that, that you haven't seen Bourne do but there's right? only that's interesting because um, the way that a traditional martial arts film would set that up would be with a lot of the posturing you do like one flip in it mm. but it's very much not your traditional martial arts setup. it's full on it's, it feels really 
you know, punishing. Was it like that when you were filming it? Yeah, it was relentless. I mean, the, the flip you're talking about, even on that side, Jeff Amada was the fight choreographer, yeah. who's a legend. Such legend. a nice guy yeah. and a, a legend. And, and to work with him and John Eusebio, they beasted me. Because I trained at 8711 for two weeks prior to filming. And um, obviously I tricked. So I was a martial mm. arts tricker. So And I had done ninjutsu and capoeira. And, you know, I've, I've done a lot... But the first like week, they were just beasting me. It's like any ego you've got, they're just going to break you yeah. until you feel worthless and you're putty in their hands. And then when they realize you're humble and willing to learn, then in the second week, Jeff was like, okay, now I want to see, now you can show me your strengths, show me what you're, what you're good at. And then he was like, look, we need to put in something cool. Yeah. For this Black Rage. So we were coming up with all these different cool moves using tricks. And eventually came up with uh, the side somersault out of the wrist lock. Yeah, yeah. Um, We had a whole range of things, but that was the one we went with. And as you said, it's cool. They don't do a big slow motion. I do it, I land, then Bourne sweeps me and we carry on. It's just slow. It might as well just be a punch or a kick. And that's what makes it all the cooler. It's not like, oh my God, look at me. It's just like that's the most efficient thing to do to get out of this yeah. predicament and keep going yeah it's logical it's not just um, tricking in a sense yeah, for, yeah. for the sense of it it's impossible how can you last this long don't you know we're horse trainers the way they shoot fights and this is an issue on almost all blockbuster studio films which still irks me yeah most directors of big blockbusters that get to the position where they're directing a studio-sized film don't have any kind of action pedigree, and often this fight may be the very first fight they've ever shot. Yeah. So what do they do? They defer to the ABCs of coverage, like how you would cover a dramatic scene. Yeah. In the final edit, you're only using typically the master at the start of the scene and maybe the end or a midpoint. You're, you're not showing long protracted sections of the fight from a super wide master because it's not intimate enough sure but if you make your performers go from the very beginning to the very end of the fight on wide masters you've knackered them out by the time you start to get to the coverage that's actually going to make up the majority of the edit your performers are knackered they're past their prime Techniques start to get sloppy. They're getting tired. It may even be on day two or three. Rather than thinking, let's prioritize them at their freshest and at their peak. Yeah. If you ask any performer, you could say that there were, they may say, take five of whatever coverage we did was when I felt the very best and my techniques were coming out the cleanest and I felt the sharpest. Yeah. And then I started to go on a downward curve. Yeah. Modern Hong Kong style fight scenes... I'm not a huge fan of but you think of like Dragons Forever I think the fight between Benny the Jet and Jackie for me represents the pinnacle of Hong Kong fight action design and action direction imagine shot for shot choreography for choreography you had that in a Captain America fight 
it would be truly cinematic. Films like Romeo Must Die and when sort of mm. Wushu became a really big thing. Wushu and the Wires. Wire- that everyone was doing wire work. Re- go back and re-watch those films. They're absolutely absurd. Yeah. It's a fucking cartoon. <laughs> yeah. They're, it may look cool because at the time everyone was all over the Matrix wire work and, mm. and bullet time. But there's no danger. Whereas when you go and watch something like Warrior. Yeah. You're something like fuck me this is just intimidating and and that knows when it needs to be wide yeah. and it knows when it needs to come in so I'm saying look the, the coverage of Born Supremacy I wasn't a fan of yeah. the overt shaky cam too much closes okay you're seeing people with gritted teeth and spit coming out of their mouth okay you get a sense that it's dirty and, and animalistic but you can't appreciate any no, of the, the no. detail and intricacy of the fight. A lot of people label the Bourne films as mm, being obviously oh, sure, a, a precursor of that. But then I guess there's a difference between when, you know, Paul Greengrass is doing Shaky Cam and then a lot of the other filmmakers were doing <laughs> were, were then two t- three, took that style. Yeah, exactly. It all comes down to good filmmaking, doesn't it? Yeah, and and it's it's so it's so funny, isn't it? Because Paul Made that was very much his signature style. It wasn't just in the fight scenes; it was in the car chases. It yeah. was in dialogue scenes. Yeah. You have this floating camera, like you're a voyeur. You have a very particular tone and mood, and, yeah. and yeah. edgy feel. The pace of those films and yeah. the vulnerability. Born's a badass, but it feels like the wolf is at his heels yeah. all the time, and he needs to keep moving. Yeah, and yeah. That slightly uneasy camera movement keeps that sense of tension in you yeah. throughout the film yeah. but imitators will shoot things in normal stable coverage and then suddenly think fight scene let's go let's into board mode yeah. and it doesn't make sense because the mood of the film isn't yeah. like that yeah. so it's just like look, look, when Lockstock and Snatch came out look at the number of low budget people that think they're the next guy Richie yeah. Yeah. and how many have captured the magic yeah that Snatch yeah, had exactly, in exactly. the dialogue, the banter, you know what I mean? My superior kung fu will finish you off. So, Joey, you were born in London. Yeah. When was your first memory of martial arts, getting into martial arts movies? Did that happen at quite a quite a young age for you? Mm, my cousin, Kojo, he trained Wushu, I think with master, under Master Lee, with Ray Park. Wow. So it's so funny that I've now met Ray Park. <laughs> yeah. I, I was on the set of Accident Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I met Ray Park and it's like, wow, like my cousin was doing Wushu with you back in the 80s. Wow. He would come round and start teaching me and my brother. And then he gave me for my seventh birthday, Dragons Forever on VHS. Wow. So that film, I probably watch more than any other Jackie film. And it's such a great one to have really because to one. this day, it's... I think that really is, is is the yeah. pinnacle um, so that was kind of the start I didn't do martial arts formally in a class until I moved to Ghana at the age yeah. of nine where I did ITF Taekwondo so your mother is British yeah uh, and your father Kofi Ansa mm. uh, is a famous fashion designer I was reading in Ghana mm. what was your childhood like growing up in, the, in that world it was god I mean London in the 80s it was being a mix being mixed race is very interesting because um, 
and just having an unusual family having a dad as a fashion you suddenly realise okay most of my friends at school whose dads work in the corporate sector or lawyers or whatever it's just very very different I remember the the clothes show coming round to our house they did a whole episode on my dad and stuff and going to his studio it's no wonder I've followed in the arts you know that the the answers are, are, are sort of all in the arts I went to Dulwich College prep uh, growing up, which is you know like Hogwarts, yeah. for want of a better word, <laughs> yeah. it's a fantastic building, yeah. very old school style. Um, you could there were borders. I wasn't I wasn't a border, no, um, but to be God, I could count on one hand the number of uh, sort of non-white ethnic minorities. Yeah. So my formative years in London, I was very much in tu- in touch with the white British side of my heritage but other than my father and a couple of relatives in my lives there weren't that many there wasn't that much exposure to the the black or Ghanaian side of my culture so it's also then when I moved to Ghana yeah whole family emigrated there when I was nine and I went to an international school where 50% of the school body was Ghanaian and the rest was every nationality you could imagine it was then a flip suddenly where you're immersed in like African culture mm. and it was a real culture shock and it's, it's such a funny thing because you, pe- people see what's different when you're mixed race when I was at school growing up people very much see you've got brown skin you've got curly hair you're different you're black but then when I went to Ghana you'll be called a white man by Guy yeah, if you yeah, walk yeah. through like a you know a road or a, or a village area, all the kids are oh brony, oh brony, like white man. You suddenly realise I'm not. I'm seen as different by both sides. How did that make you feel at the time then? Um, I th- I never remember it massively bothering me. You just realise that you're something in the middle. I don't feel white and I don't feel black. I feel. A mixture of the two, literally. I I don't feel that I'm more one, and I think having had the benefit of living in both cultures, I fully understand and appreciate and have sort of activated within my DNA, for want of a yeah. more dramatic way of putting it, um, all the facets of my heritage. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You started studying martial arts while you were in Ghana. That was your, yeah, that was your yeah, first yeah. entry uh, entry yeah. into that. Your martial arts of choice, though, I read a couple of things, one of which is, um, well, they're both quite uh, fascinating, capoeira yeah. uh, and ninjutsu. Where the heck do you learn ninjutsu? I know. Well, <laughs> so in Plymouth, when I moved back from Ghana at 14, I moved to Plymouth in Devon. Um, of ninjas in Plymouth? <laughs> well, home of the Navy, so yeah. a lot of military people A lot people of military people, people, yeah. And there was a... Um, Bujinkan ninjutsu club down there so I had your same exact yeah. reaction what ninjutsu I was like I can't believe my fucking eyes yeah. like is this real being in Plymouth and being full of squaddies yeah we just trained extremely brutally <laughs> we would hit because there are no passive blocks in ninjutsu like karate yeah. all the blocks are actual oh, muscle destructions well. yeah okay so if if someone threw a punch and you slip it, you would uh, back fist with your knuckles the inside of the forearm, gotcha. the big muscle groups, or the bicep, yep. or 
nerve points just by the elbow and stuff. Yeah, yeah. There, so there's no passive blocks. So when we were training, people were full force. You'd be black and blue, yeah. and, and there's a lot of joint manipulations yeah. and takedowns. And you have to train that stuff under pressure. You need an opponent who's resisting. Yeah to learn how to make these things work it's very easy you go to other clubs people are like putty and they don't train hard and it's this complete kind of charade of martial arts like a lot of the most martial arts demonstrations where you have some poncy um, arrogant looking smug bastard doing these fantastic looking combinations on, on willing sort of sycophantic students sure and it's just like of course that looks impressive because the guy is just letting you do whatever he wants yeah. and you're just contorting his compliant body yeah. Yeah, in yeah. 10 different ways what do you train in nowadays then Joey what's your sort of main go to because we should say you've trained in a, you've trained in a lot of different styles yeah and it's interesting to know what you're sort of settling on now for me for, for your hands box understanding bo- the head movement defensive movement handwork of Western boxing is sublime and for kicks taekwondo and karate I think to have nice kicks you nearly need to work your chambers you know Muay Thai style of kicking you're swinging a straight leg like a baseball bat for the most part in their bukaus and head round kicks you know true really sublime um, karate whether it's Kyokushin or or Shotokan uh, it's getting a high chamber before you extend the kick and re-chambering and that just takes a lot of conditioning if you sure. don't keep that stuff up you cannot hold a high chamber yeah, yeah. and the hip hip mobility you need to proper open your hips and have a good body line yeah. it's rare that you see someone that you're like they're a nice kicker aesthetically yeah. because the chamber's high and tight and it fires out and re-chambers and goes down yeah. You see people that can kick hard, but it's just this straight leg. It's like someone just swinging a baseball bat as opposed to a cobra strike. Sure, cobra sure. kind of rears up, strikes back to the rear position, and moves, and yeah. and that takes a lot of work. The 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 kind of um, fine art of kicking. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. <laughs> All right. Let me try some of your kung fu. You uh, started acting more. You appeared in a few UK independent films. Yeah. Um, 
you appeared in Batman Begins, mm. which uh, is amazing. Definitely. Uh, fond, memory. fond memories. <laughs> Channeling your ninja skills there. Exactly. I <laughs> yeah. got to be a ninja. Yeah. Yeah. Not that we did any fighting, no. but I got to dress as a ninja at least. <laughs> which is pretty, that's pretty awesome. Over this time, you're developing uh, your skills uh, on uh, film sets. You're taking in a lot of knowledge. Your vision for Street Fighter, mm. this must have been something that was gestating, that had been in your brain for for quite a while, I'm guessing. It's clearly a passion project. It was a labour of love. What made you want to make a, a Street Fighter film? Because let's be honest, the Street Fighter films that were in existence have all been pretty bad. Oh, that, that is... The, <laughs> was you, that the inspiration? You've answered the question <laughs> yeah. right there. The, I, I played... I was really captured. My imagination was captured with Street Fighter when it came out. Um, when Street Fighter 2 dropped in the arcades, even before the Super Nintendo... Um, well, we're version. quite similar in age, and I do remember when uh, Street Fighter Two came out, and that was that was huge, wasn't it? It was, it was groundbreaking. Yeah. Just seeing it in the arcade, just seeing a sonic boom <laughs> travelling across yeah. the screen, and hearing sonic boom, sonic boom, and yeah. and just the look of the characters, the music, the graphics, even everything about that game kind of made a huge impact. It was like something has arrived, a yeah. new era of gaming has arrived and and it was at the time when martial arts films were all the fucking rage yeah, exactly, right so exactly. it i just sunny sun games you play they just they hook into you and they've yeah. got you and street fighter was a game that hooked into me so and specifically ken and ryu was there a reason why you were because we should say the short film that you made street fighter legacy mm. was focusing in on ken and ryu and the work you've done um after that as well has done as well so what specifically about those characters were were they your favourite characters in the game yeah I did like I'm a good big guile player yeah um I was but, always blanker. I don't know. There was something about the role, and then he had good reach. I could always win with blanker. Yeah, his electricity. That's right. Um, I think. Look, they are the quintessential martial arts warriors in the game. Right out of out of all of the characters and the way they dress, they're the only two in a fucking gi. Right. Yep. So you're like, okay, these guys are, and they could do hadokens. Yeah. Something about the ability to do Hadoukens and Shoryukens and the Tatsumaki, it just, I was like. So I like them in the game. I love the moveset as the games evolved and a bit more story came out and Akuma came into it. Yeah. With his moveset, okay, he fights in the same style, but he's got this more arcane, like older looking. Yeah version of it and he can do like air fireballs and he can teleport and he can do like seemingly souped up versions of them that so that got the narrative part of my brain imagination going well what was his era and then learning hearing this word ansatsuken for the first time which is assassin's Assassin's fist Fist, right yeah and then then when goken was mentioned that ryan ken's master was goken and he was killed by akuma and then there power of nothingness eventually came up that Ryu and Ken's way they generate Hado is through the power of nothingness but Akuma uses something different Satsuno Hado which is the murderous intent um, 
So all of that was like, oh, fucking cool, because this now has legs. Yeah, so you get this opportunity to make this short film, Street Fighter Legacy. What was that like, putting all that together? It must have been a sort of, being such a fan of the game, to then suddenly... Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it's, it was surreal, and it still is a bit surreal when you stand back and look at it this thing just kind of becomes your life even the fact yeah, you're that you're the street fighter guy yeah though. and I am Akuma that's yeah, odd yeah you're Akuma that's odd and there's very much a separation <laughs> I someone reminds me or I see a picture of myself as Akuma and I'm like oh yeah yeah I am Akuma <laughs> that's fucking sick but yeah so to make it as you said the, the, the come full circle Van Damme Street Fighter campy and ridiculous and Ryu and Ken were made into con men in that it's but, such a missed opportunity that film wasn't it yeah it's so bizarre two of the most noble centre stage characters of the game have been kind of sidelined as these yeah. like tertiary characters and then Legend of Chun-Li came out with Kristen Crook which again was disappointing I mean yeah <sighs> I see they, they'd gone away from the campy side yeah, and tried yeah. to go to a grounded relatable real world yeah, thing yeah. but then gone so far off the visual look yeah. and canon of the game yeah. with Bison being played by Neil McDonough who's a great actor yeah, but yeah. having a Irish sounding in that blonde peroxide blonde haired yeah. bison was just very peculiar and having bloody Kevin Klein paying Nash it was odd it was odd yeah, yeah. so so getting the opportunity to do Legacy do this short it's yeah. like the first thing we need to do is depict Ryu and Ken properly in live action because that's the one thing we've been fucked out of mm -hmm. the most yeah yeah and we need to see Hurricanes, we need to see fucking dragon yeah, yeah. punches, yeah, yeah. we need to see Tatsumaki, we need to see all those things. We'd see the headband fluttering in the wind. Yeah. But you already had the vision crystal clear in your minds that if this was to extend, go to a feature film, uh, we're not just going to show those sort of trademark moves. We're going to get there, but we're going to show this is going to be an origin story. This is going to go way back. Into mythos and, yeah. ca and character. Yeah. yeah, so Assassin's Fist... I mean, look, the story of Legacy is out there. I'm not going to bore you guys on this podcast because I've told it. We sure. didn't even originally set out to do a short. We wanted to do a whole web series to yeah. begin with. But after all was said and done and the funding we managed to get from Capcom, yeah, yeah. that three-minute short was what, what, what we did. Yeah. And off the back of that, three years later, finally managed to get Assassin's Fist into production. And that was an origin story of Ryu and Ken. Yeah. And this whole mythos is multi-generational so the great Assassin's Fist I'll say the great thing about Assassin's Fist is that you see three generations of yeah. the same style at the very top uh, Gortetz who is played by Togo Ogawa who is like the Grand Master yeah. and then he adopts after World War II uh, Goki and Gorken yeah. who become Generation 2 and then when Gorken is an adult and has finished his Mushashugyo, his warrior's pilgrimage, he then adopts the orphan Ryu yeah. and then Ken is later deposited with him from a friend Mr. Masters. Yeah. So you have the three generations and for Ryu and Ken to um, understand these, these the powers that they're starting to wield they have to sort of begin to understand what's come before yeah. them and the long legacy they are the final torchbearers of a dying art form yeah you know yeah and it, there's a lot of um, sim symbology in there 
tradition versus progress, compromise, modernization, evolution. Yeah. Akuma represents abs- absolutes. Akuma is a man of black and white. Absolute tradition. A fight is to the death or not at all. Yeah. Um, you go all the way or not at all. Yeah. Whereas Golken represents can I preserve elements of tradition but modernize and adapt it to fit you know and it's it's, it's like fundamental re- religion yeah versus free thought and evolving you know humans evolve their belief systems and social structure based on ever changing world and yeah. it, so I think when you watch Assassin's Fist it really does have a lot of parallels that people can hopefully relate to yeah. You know. And I can probably guarantee those weren't the types of conversations that were happening uh, oh. back when they were <laughs> making the Van Damme movie uh, and uh, you know and, and and the other subsequent Street Fighter films. It's one of the best films based on a video game. Mm. Um, I can't think of many others that are so uh, enveloping, engaging, such a in-depth character study. Which again. Uh, I guess goes back to the point we were making earlier about Warrior. What are you engaging in the, in there? You just you've set up a film where you've got characters that are relatable and their actions you can believe in. That's the key to it, right? And their con- their internal conflicts, yeah. right? I mean, drama comes from conflict, whether external or internal. But often, external conflicts, i.e., person A is fighting person B. Yeah the reason why they're fighting is often motivated by an internal conflict in one of them. Person B feels so jealous of person A getting all the attention that he's going to fight him to take what person A has. So ultimately, all conflict comes down to internal conflict. And it is a coming-of-age film in that sense and that relationship uh, between their their best buddies... Ken and Ryu but then you're right there are points where you think oh their competitive nature is it going to get the better of them you know they're constantly at odds as to uh, you, you know you, you, keep, you keep people guessing as to whether you know that relationship's really is it going to be boom or bust you know and will exactly you've hit, you've hit the nail on the head because Ken motivates himself by competing with Ryu he's constantly trying to best Ryu Ken needs external validation because he didn't have it from an absent mother or a busy father. So he needs the accolade of, I beat you at this, I'm better, you're worse, give me the praise. Ryu is motivated not by the external challenge of Ken, but by himself, bettering himself. So it frustrates Ken that Ryu is very internalised in his motivation whereas Ken is constantly looking over his shoulder at what Ryu's doing whereas right. Ryu is very much focused on himself but Ryu has this issue of he holds back he's got an internal restraint he's battling with something inside him that he constantly has his restraints on and you mm. meet that in real life people have an inability to just let go let yeah. their hair down yeah, yeah. and just let it hang out mm-hmm. they're self-conscious and they're constantly guarded and they're constantly only showing a portion of who they really are Yeah. and in Ryu when that eventually when he's pushed to his limits and he does let go you realise the dark Haddo the Satsuno yeah. Haddo awakens yeah, yeah. in him spontaneously yeah. and Ken ironically goes full circle and begins to 
get a hold of himself yeah which is yeah. why Gokin says that remember at the end he's Ken you're the big brother now that's right that's you right. know whereas it's a nice moment that were you surprised at all the adulation the praise that that film's uh, been getting you must have been pretty chuffed it was heartwarming I mean geez, it's it's that film took its pound of flesh from me yeah. getting it made because think like, I directed it yeah. I co-wrote it I was one You're of the producers it. on it I'm in it I choreographed it it's been seven days no joke seven days a week for years years yeah. of my life four yeah. or five years of my life I put such passion into it and without kind of being arrogant if you have a strong perception of what's good and what's not and what I mean by that is if I go see a film and you're like Joey what do you think of this film I'm like oh I wasn't a fan if you like why weren't you a fan I would be able to say okay do you have two hours I'll sit you down and give you a very complex nuanced reasoned logical breakdown of what didn't work about that film for me if I said I fucking loved that film I could for two hours tell you exactly the blueprint the DNA of of why that film worked on a surface level and on a deep, deep esoteric level I think if you're able to express yourself in your own mind and verbally to other people about why something's good or why something's bad, you, you have a strong gauge. You're like a strong barometer yeah. for things. So then when I designed Street Fighter, all the elements I felt needed to be in it in that story of Ryu Ken, Akuma, the whole Ansatsuken mm-hmm. line, I thought, if I love it and in the edit I watch it and enjoy it, I challenge other people not to the majority of people not to (laughs) get the same thing out of it yeah Yeah. yeah. so I think I feel I have a pretty strong where do you get that from do you think because you didn't study you went to uh, university uh, and you studied human biology I believe Mm. you didn't go into like a film school or anything Um, so you gauge that knowledge from well maybe that's it maybe science maybe Maybe that's that's it it. analytical thinking critical thinking and analytical thinking are things I would really encourage anyone listening out there for themselves or for their kids it's such an important skill to be able to debate formulate very uh, complex ideas and thoughts but deliver them succinctly um I struggle with that on this podcast (laughs) not at all but I think having a strong opinion some people are like fucking hell do you not have any unique point of view do you not have anything to say that you're not regurgitating some people are like the crowd are saying this so I'll just regurgitate what the crowd are saying it's like think for yourself it's okay if you didn't like it it's okay if you liked it but be be able and proud to um, articulate yeah. why you like something otherwise you're going through life and as I said it's the, science, it's the scientist mindset you're going through life just never really appreciating how things work or yeah. why things are the way they are and this, is, this goes back to martial arts training and this probably answers that martial arts tricking in particular I have a lot to thank I owe a lot to that process for how I think and how I've 
become an actor without going to drama school, how I've become a filmmaker without going to film school. Mm. With tricking, I was among the sort of first generation of UK trickers, right? And YouTube didn't even exist back then. Sure. You know, broadband didn't exist. We were on <laughs> dial-up internet. So you had a couple the of... days. <laughs> oh, yeah. You wait, you'd overnight leave a download for yeah. a three-minute video, <laughs> That's right? exactly right. So when the first tricking video started to come around, you're like, oh, my God, people are doing flash kicks like Guile in, in Street Fighter. Yeah. And So the only learning resource you had is to look at some grainy-ass video and break it down. So let's, I always use this as a, as a story. A no-handed cartwheel, mm-hmm. an aerial cartwheel. Initially, you look at it and you think, okay, they're doing a cartwheel really fast and they just don't put their hands down. That's as complex as your mind breaks sure. it down. So you then take that very simplistic description and, of the technique and you try it and it doesn't work. Yeah. You go out at your school lunchtime, <laughs> you, you try head. it, you're falling, you're falling, you're falling, and you're like, there must be more to it. Yeah. So you go back to the video and watch it. Okay. When I do it, I keep putting my hands down. So let's think about where their center of mass is. When they take off, they're seemingly going up, almost hanging in the air whilst their legs rotate and land underneath them. Yeah. They're not moving across. They're kind of doing it. So in order to stay on the spot, when they jump, their center of mass needs to be between their legs, not outside their legs. If... if the center of mass is outside of your lead leg, you're going to travel horizontally, which is going to be a fast ticket to to you not landing, <laughs> yes. right? So it's physics. You start to mm. then break down angles, uh, torque, uh, momentum. What's the, so then I think, what's the very first part of their body to start moving? Okay, they pull their lead arm like they're pulling a chain or tugging a ripcord or something. That's what starts generating, and then the torso starts to follow the mm. arm at a certain point. Okay, where does their head get to when they jump? You notice that their head gets to the lowest point possible near their jumping knee, and it stops before they jump, so they're not jumping as their head is moving down. Mm. Their head hits its lowest point, then they jump their hips over there. Mm. You're like, aha! I kept falling because I was jumping whilst my head was still moving down, thus propelling my head towards the floor. (laughs) The head has got to come to a standstill and then everything's got to rotate around the head. So now it's gone from three bits of technique to ten bits of technique. And then you land the move, you've got it. But you're like, it looks a bit messy. Theirs looks really clean. So now you're in the finessing thing. So now you've got 15 points of technique like a checklist to get a perfect looking now cartwheel and once you've taught yourself that you're like incredible with no instructor no mirror no fucking gymnastics gym just on the grass I've taught this fantasy move yeah so now you apply that mindset to it to the next move mm. so now you begin to look at any move and be able to break it down you can look at a gainer somersault or a kick the moon or a butterfly twist and you can st- you apply those same mm. points of physics it's, I, it's like Neo in the Matrix right when he becomes the one he starts to see the code he yeah. doesn't see the Matrix as everyone else does yeah, yeah. as it's presented he sees the inner work the DNA mm-hmm. of everything mm-hmm. the coding of everything and real life is like and tricking allows you to start seeing the code Yeah. so now in the same way I looked at an hour under cartwheel and broke it down 
I could look at a script or a scene. And it's it's immersion, right? Before becoming a professional actor, I did extras work for three years yeah. and was on 60 film sets yeah. and would sit and just learn the process. Mm. Just be, be inquisitive. <laughs> I want that medal or I'll take your life. Going back to Street Fighter just quickly, mm. is there still stuff that you can glean from that world that you'd still be willing to explore? I know you recently did the Resurrection series. Mm. A lot of very familiar faces in there, friends of the show, uh, which is really good to see. Katrina was in there, um, mm. Alan Mussey as well. Where are you at with Street Fighter now? <sighs> TV show, look, uh, you could only go up. So uh, Resurrection was actually not planned. That was sort of thrown in at the last minute whilst trying to develop and get a full-on TV show, big US, you know, big budget uh, cable show on the go. Resurrection was like, Machinima wanted to do something else, Capcom wanted something else out around Street Fighter V, so I was like, okay, let me... Let's do a prologue to Street Fighter V live action. It doesn't cannibalise on any of the continued story that I want to tell post where Assassin's Fist ended, for example. Since Assassin's Fist came out, I have non-stop been working to get this going mm. as a TV show. I spent four months in LA after the premiere of Assassin's Fist. I pitched to 15 studios and production companies um, to do World yeah. Warrior, a TV show. Assassin's Fist was made for... God, actually cash 2.2 million dollars which yeah. is not much for what we pulled off two, over two and a half hours long yeah. all on location yeah. all those sets were fully built those dojos you know fully working interiors visual effects as well yeah cast from international cast from Japan and yeah. America and all the rest we deferred so much of our money and to get it made we had to pre-sell most of the territories of of the film which means you don't really see anything on the backside. the irony is Resurrection which is a show that unfortunately a lot of fans haven't been able to see there's not a UK you can't no, get it here. there's not currently a UK thing but financially mm. we've done very well out of it as far as we knew when we when we sort of secured the deal and got into production it was going to be released like Assassin's Fist on YouTube interesting for everyone to see with a sponsor but the digital space and how to make money in it is always changing and mm. people need to understand that to recoup even a million dollars online on something digital, you have to go where the money is. YouTube, there's no money to be made in YouTube anymore. It's okay. just really it's really gone down. It's business at the end of the day. I know a lot of frustrated fans, why can't you just release it on YouTube? And it's like, do you want me to spend, or the rest of the team, to spend three years of their life working on something and they don't really get paid Yeah, they get paid maybe at best a year's salary for three four years full time yeah. work yeah. so you can enjoy it for free yeah it's it's a shame. I I wish it was it was as easy as that. That's the double edged sword, isn't it? Because you've got all these streaming services that are dying for content. Um, but the more streaming services, the more content there is, the more likelihood there is for it to be lost in a way. Utterly right. There are yeah. so many shows. A lot of people make a film and it just go out, and they're yeah. not they're they're not really involved in its distri- distribution, its yeah. marketing. It's look, we created our own posters. We created our own trailers we controlled everything yeah. with World Warrior we're like to do 
the continuing Street Fighter story justice, I can't do it on a $2 million budget. I, no, I, I need we, a proper TV show. World Warrior then is continuing from Assassin's Fist, but you're going to get m- there's more characters in, in this. Oh, it would expand. You'd have Chun-Li coming sure. in. You'd suddenly enter Shadaloo, Bison, Sagat, you know. The whole gang. Ideally, it will go through the Street Fighter 1 story first. Yeah. So even the Street Fighter with Geki and characters like that Fine. from the first game before you introduce people like Vega in which yeah, is yeah. the second world warrior tournament yeah, yeah. I have a, a specific vision of how I'd like to do it but what I'm learning is big t- if you go the studio route you get access to the big money to yeah. really make this thing with all the bells and whistles mm-hmm. you want a show like Game of Thrones it, it kind of has to go yeah, that yeah. route but the creative compromises and it's collaboration TV is not really an auteur's Format and by that, as in one visionary that can do it all. Yeah, it's so typically on. Yeah, exactly. So, so with Assassin's Fist, I could kind of a megalomaniac and mastermind everything. TV typically, that person becomes an exec producer of the show. Yeah, and another writer's brought on the showrunner, who's the lead writer for the show, and the EP kind of just oversees the writers' room and makes sure things are kind of staying on brand but they're not involved in the minutiae of it all. Sure. And that's what's very difficult, um, is coming to terms with, will I be able to make the show I want to make at the budget? You know, and maybe it's... Because big shows now, for listeners, a, a bottom-of-the-barrel TV show is made for 2 to $2.5 million per episode right for a cable show that's crazy that sounds like a lot of money so the entire budget of Assassin's Fist for one episode of a a TV show and that's bottom higher end of that is 7 to 10 million an episode show like Westworld yeah incredible show yeah yeah 100 million dollar budget for season 1 10 episodes so that's 10 mil an ep yeah and even halfway up there, I could make an amazing international locations mm-hmm. like you want to, you know, you want to see it. Ah. Damn your ass. What are we to do with you? Aladdin as well. Mm. This is uh, working with Guy Ritchie. Mm. Uh, Will Smith as well is, is in this movie. Um, what can you say about Aladdin? Can you say anything about it? Um, what can I say? <laughs> It's, I don't know it's all wrapped or are they still that, going no it's all done it's all done it won't be out till 2019 because there's wow. so much obviously post to yeah. do on that um, it will sh- we sh- I had the wonderful privilege of going to Jordan yeah and um, can I play one of so Jafar in it has his two loyal guards yes. so to speak um, so everywhere Jafar goes we go basically um, and uh, the highlight of the shoot we did a lot of studio stuff yeah. here but going to Jordan and camel riding wow. in, in fact I'm going to show you a picture yeah. no one listening will have seen but it will it will um, this is you on a, on a camel yeah it was just stunning the place called Wadi Rum which is where Lawrence of Arabia oh, rode yeah, through sure sure so we actually saw the cave. Someone pointed out, and that's the cave that he actually camped in when leading the Arab revolt. 
wow. across. So it's 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 where they shot The Martian as well. Yeah. Um, so feast your oh, eyes on on that. You can just audibly hear, but it's it's kind of bucket list experience. I mean, that is Lawrence of Arabia, is it? Yeah. Just right there. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. So um, do you have to pinch yourself sometimes, Joey? Like all this stuff that's happening for you is pretty. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. So that's me. Number Get out of town. There's Jafar. Me. Um, yeah, it, it's it's you do pinch yourself, and that's when you're very fortunate. I mean, this is one of the odd careers. I think for people that do regular hard-working jobs, where it's nine to five, they've got to get up. You know, there aren't periods off other than their limited holiday. Work can get a bit tiring or boring. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the acting filmmaking business, you love to work. Yeah, working is the very best thing you can be doing and it's when you're not working the downtime that's the tough yeah. it may sound fun yeah. if even if you've got loads of money in the bank the downtime you want to be active and you have to be disciplined to keep yourself active for me because i train i'm a martial artist i'm in the gym there's a lot of i train like an athlete when sure. i've got downtime and i'm writing you know you yeah. have to keep productive yeah um but Sometimes you pinch yourself. You're like, "This is ridiculous." <laughs> I'm on a camel. I'm in Jordan. Yeah, I'm I mean, in Aladdin. Guy Ritchie's over there. Yeah, Will Smith. Exactly. Will Smith. Then you're in the middle of musical numbers. Yeah, that's really odd. This is the first musical. <laughs> oh, there is songs. Yeah. Hey, okay, right. They're going to do the songs. Yeah, all yeah, the yeah. classics. So fine. Um. Yeah, like Arabian Night, or all the classic Whole New World, but they've done a couple of new tracks as sure, well. Sure. It's really interesting just seeing the filming process of musical numbers yeah. in these films. That was um, that was fascinating. Um, Were you getting involved in any of the da- dancing or anything? The, the, I really no. I mean, other than in my own private space, yeah. <laughs> um, Where the cameras are rolling. Yeah. What I don't particularly, I don't fight in Aladdin. Yeah, and I don't. I don't fight in mission particularly. Sure. It's not to say I'm not involved in some actiony Scavishes. stuff, but, but um, no. This the last three films, and that's I guess the wonderful. This is the thing. I really am an actor now. Yeah. I'm, I'm not fighting. Yeah. Anymore. I like. I need to make this. I can't remember the last thing I, <laughs> I fought in. Um, but do you? Is that something you want to do more of? Is is the more dramatic? Roles? Oh, or, yeah. I mean, look. If you look at my CV, the majority of stuff is probably non-action related, yeah, yeah. right? And that is important because I think when you start off, if you're an action guy, what becomes dangerous if if the only work you get is action stuff? Because then it means you're not being employed because of your acting abilities. No. You're being employed because of your ability to kick ass. Yeah. But without that, people are like, dramatically, you have very little to offer mm. to this production. Mm. That's not a good place to be for a long career. And ultimately, if you want to act... see, Say, say even my vision is, I want to do what Tom is doing. Yeah, yeah. I want to act and do action at the highest level. Yeah, yeah. You have to be able to act at the highest level. Yeah. As competitive as it is doing action, to be regarded as... For someone to say... You're a great actor. Mm. You're like, 
that's amazing because yeah. it, if someone can say that aside then you're like as a bonus I can do all this collection yeah. shit as well <laughs> yeah, right? exactly, yeah thank you so much for your time this evening uh, and enjoy uh, is Tom going to be there tonight no I think he's off working he's, is he, he yeah he's off yeah, he's, he's but off. the rest of the the rest of the crew and some of the cast will be there yeah so. we have a good uh, party this evening I will thank, thank you very much thank you very much for joining me on the podcast cheers my pleasure Thank you, Joey. Great to talk to Joey Answer there. We wish him the best of luck on his many future film projects and, of course, his work as the executive producer on that new Street Fighter TV series. It's a remarkable achievement. We very much look forward to seeing the results of that and, of course, following its progress. Keep a lot to the Kung Fu Movie Guide, of course, and all the usual KFMG pod channels. Uh, with the latest news with regards to that and of course you can keep up to date with all the latest Joey Answer news uh, by following him on social media he is on Facebook at Joey Answer Official and Instagram at The Joey Answer Okay, just one final plug from me. We do have a monthly newsletter, which we mentioned earlier. Uh, The newsletter is not only the best way to find out about the latest martial arts movie news and reviews, but it's uh, a great way to get hold of free stuff as well. And who doesn't like free stuff? Uh, For instance, last month we gave away copies of the new uh, Bruce Lee biography by Matthew Polly called Bruce Lee A Life which I heartily recommend, it's a great read and we've given away signed DVDs and Blu-rays and that sort of thing in the past so uh, it's definitely worth your while do become a registered Foo follower today by visiting kungfumovieguide.com simply type in your email address when prompted and we'll do the rest just before I go, a big thank you to George Dennis, of course, for his ongoing technical support. A massive thank you to Joey Answer for appearing on today's show. And of course, a big thank you to you, wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this, wherever you downloaded this. Thank you so much for your continued support. And thank you for following the Kung Fu Movie Guide. We will, of course, be back, as always, in two weeks' time with another episode of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. It's so good to be back. Thank you so much. And I will see you next time on the show. Until then, take care. Bye for now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.